Welcome back to New Persuasive Words. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. And Bill, happy birthday. Thank you very much. 25? What is this today? Uh, no, I'm 57. You know what? And I have to tell our listening audience what was hilarious the other day is you asked me how old I was going to be, and you were upset that I was going to be 57. Yeah, it's like, you can't be that old. No, I don't, I don't, I'm not comfortable with it. And, and then I asked, well, how old do you think I am? And you go, uh, 55? I just have you at always 55. <laughs> I don't you know. Like, I'm not sure. What's the two-year swing? It's just your, it's, that's, it's, you're, uh, it's too close to 60 for me. Yeah, well, when, yeah, I mean, all right, I'm one year closer to death. That's, we know that for sure. So, at any rate, but uh, having a good day. I um, uh, thank you for the wishes, and thank you for all of you out there who has, have wished me a happy birthday. I appreciate it. It's kind of, you know, one thing I will say about social media, it's, it is a, it's like um, one of those geological where you see all the layers of history. <laughs> you know, it's kind of an interesting thing. I mean, I have people from grade school, from every, uh, almost everywhere I've ever been uh, wishing me a happy birthday. So it's a humbling thing. I, I'm very, I feel very blessed. I have yet to, I have to write on, I st- I've thought about it. I mean, I've, I've been thinking, you know, what I was going to write. Will you be under oath when you write what I, I, I mean, <laughs> Of course. I'll be under, I mean, what's funny is. I'll feel totally vindicated and I uh, deny everything you say. Uh, you know, why would I ask uh, for this man's loyalty? Trump made phone bank volunteers on the campaign sign non-disclosure agreements. <laughs> phone, phone bank volunteers. Why would I ask somebody? Uh, yeah. 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 He's a leaker. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. I, I am impressed. Whoever took his Twitter account away from him yesterday. That was... Now, um, his, son, his son is not much brighter, it seems like. You know, but. it's interesting, though. I think they were saying that it was the longest... Like, he re-engaged the next morning, and it was the longest break from Twitter for him since the campaign. Yeah. Well, I guess everybody needs a habit. He doesn't, you know, he has too much. I mean, you wouldn't think the president of the United States has too much time on their hand, but apparently Donald Trump does seem to have too much time on his hands. It but, is interesting, though, because, you know, what it, he does effectively shape the narrative oh, yeah, yeah. with Twitter. I mean, he, I mean well, whether or not it helps him all the time, it, he does get... He, he kind of he finds ways to seemingly direct the narrative, even if he can't maintain control of it. At least, oftentimes he can, like with Twitter, shape the unfolding of the story. Yeah, he does. And uh, for those, you know, we've consulted our legal team. Uh, Comey did not do anything wrong by uh, telling people about that conversation. That was not privileged or classified information, the conversation he had with the president. And for those of you who think this is the end of Donald Trump, it's not. I don't think, I don't think, um, I mean, even if he lied under oath, I mean, you, he's not going to get impeached as long as Republicans are a majority in the House of Representatives. And that, and again, that's important. In, in some levels, it doesn't matter what he does, because impeachment is a political process. Um, and that's, the way our constitution he would have to get below his approval rating would have to drop south of 25 percent before the republicans would think about doing anything like that I, th- yeah. I think if it got low enough and as you creep to midterms he looks like more of a liability than an asset things could be different but i think you're i think yeah it's not gonna happen but if he, he if he floats at like 35 percent, if he can keep it above there i think that you know unless again really startling revelations come out yeah and, and I, again i'm um 
Uh, you know, I do think that, friend, we've, we've mentioned uh, there's a number of things that have just, I think this whole tone has, gets people off the rails, both on the right and the left. And, um, you know, this is, this is going to be a long, this is going to be a long journey. Now, I do think he's reckless. Uh, he's going to do something that's going to sabotage him one way or the other if he lives through this term. I mean, because I don't think he, he doesn't, I don't think he's a healthy guy. But anyway, I mean, I think it's an interesting, um, uh, well, I, I'm still just amazed. You know, I, I was. <laughs> we mentioned you mentioned you mentioned Karl Marx at an earlier podcast. Yes, all yes. those all of you who are after me, Scott mentioned Karl Marx. I did not mention Karl Marx, uh, but it is funny as you look at. Uh, I think Marx is an analysis of how elites stay in power, and there are all kinds of opiates. I mean, that are used on the masses, and it's just remarkable to me that. Um, how many people continue to vote for folks who don't who say that they're working on their behalf but are actually doing things that are only really feeding the very elite i mean the things that are, the policies that are being passed uh i mean it's even the russian the chinese business relationship the saudi business relationship i mean this is all benefiting trump inc and uh not really doing anything for the american people and maybe even <laughs> creating a potential military conflict among the Arab states. Uh, so it's it's a very reckless, unfortunate thing. And, um, yeah, I, I just I just wish we were a little more, I don't know, I, what's, what do I wish we were? I, I'm not sure. And a different reality? <laughs> Maybe a different reality. Do you think Comey could, is there a chance he broke the law by taking the documents which were generated on a government computer, government files, and then giving away government property. Somebody was a couple of people. There, that might be the only. Thing they were liberal. They were they they were left of center kind of legal analysts who were saying that that's the only thing. There, there's something in U.S. code could be about some. about giving over U.S. property for for intention or profit or this. And yeah. and he did say that he was doing it to get a special prosecutor. No. Would anybody? Would anybody yeah. prosecute? Yeah, I don't I think mean, so. And the other thing too is I think there is someone. I mean, now again, I think Comey was in a bad. I mean, he himself kind of admitted that he was a in not a good mental state. You know, it wasn't. I mean, you could tell that he was. This was a this this was a uh, devastating thing for him to be fired. I mean, he's again, you know, and I and I can't believe. I mean, he is so much more like the average, you know, person who goes out and does their job, does their duty. He could have used his education. And his connections to make a lot of money, like Trump's lawyers. But he, you know, he he served he served the public. Now again, he did what he wanted to do. But I, I just don't get while the you know, the Faith and Freedom Caucus is cheering, you know, uh, Trump, while you know criticizing this person who you know is more like them than Donald Trump will ever be in his imagination. I, I just I, that's the thing. That's did his the, undergrad thesis comparing Jerry Falwell Sr. to Reinhold Niebuhr, like the comparison of the two in public life. Yeah, it's just a fascinating. Uh, Do you think that is? What if he had just said in the beginning, Mr. President, this is not appropriate. I can't tell you that, and please don't ask again. It's just not how we do business here. This isn't. I wonder if that if Trump would have. I wonder how many people have ever said that to the president of the United States. Uh, well, I mean, I, I, and again, the thing is, he's a Boy Scout, so he wants to get along. He's 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 used. To, I mean, he's a person that's used to uh, getting along, doing the right thing, painting within. He's good grief. He was in charge of the FBI. He's used to painting in the lines. And he also, I think, again, I don't want to speculate, but I even trying to continually tell Trump he's not under investigation. Well, he was trying to feed. He thought that this, I'll, I'll feed him. I'll, I will. I will try to get on Trump's good side. So, I, 
you know what? I I am not going to. I mean, I'm a person who generally speaks my mind, and uh, regardless of the consequences, you. <laughs> but uh, I'm not prepared to say that the president of the United States <laughs> pulls me aside and says something to me. I I might I I I could see myself this president, being ten- uh, not this one. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, well, I did. I did hold hands with Barbara Bush I like in the White that. House. Yeah, the best thing that's come out of this whole controversy is Mark. Levin. I actually did do that. I know you did. Yeah, that Mark's uh, uh, Mark Levin's comment was his new nickname was. Now we got this guy J. Edgar Comey. <laughs> <laughs> I love Levin. Yeah, for it's nicknames. pretty. It's yeah, it's funny. But J. Anyway. Edgar Comey. Well, you know the Republic uh, as of what is it four fifteen on June the ninth two thousand seventeen. The Republic still is in business. We're still stand. It's still People stand. are still getting Social Security checks. A little, a little checks. shaky around the corners and around the edges. And, uh, uh, you know, only about one in five members of Congress gives me any kind of uh, hope. But um, we saw a number of them yesterday in the Senate hearing. So on both sides of the aisle. So anyway. Moving on. Yes. Well, we've decided that we have a lot more to say about the Holy Spirit. It's one of our three favorite members of the Godhead. <laughs> yeah, I admire the most. Yeah, you used that song last time. I like that. Um, you know, one of the things, uh, and we're not sh- there's so much, so this could even be, yeah, this could be a, a multi-part series here. Um, one of the things that we didn't talk about that actually was on my notes that I have here in my mind <laughs> for, for this podcast was that how often the feminine is associated with the spirit. And both in uh, its Greek roots as well as its Jewish roots, at least particularly as um, a lot of contemporary Jewish spirituality, and I think this comes out of uh, really Jewish mysticism and maybe even the Hasidic movement in uh, particular, but I think it's there in earlier Jewish mystical movements, that the Shekinah of God is a feminine, is seen often seen as feminine. Matter of fact, there's some amazing contemporary art about Sabbath and such, and the Shekinah is often portrayed as a woman. Matter of fact, it's in some of the prayers it has a, that feminine imagery to it. And of course, in Greek, uh, the word for wisdom uh, uh, is Sophia, and often that idea of Sophia, the wisdom of God, being associated with the Spirit. Now, but early usually, on— Usually it was associated with the sun. It was associated with the sun. However, it does kind of, in later— uh, like Irenaeus talks about as a spirit, Gregory Nazianzus talks about Sophia as both Logos, you know, with Son, the second person of Trinity, and also with uh, with the spirit. So wisdom, wisdom becomes more of a spirit thing later on in the tradition. Yeah, I I think this is interesting because because when you look at like the way wisdom is personified in say Proverbs or something, it seems more like what. The logos is in the New Testament. Yeah, no, I, I think that. I mean, I think that wisdom. I mean, there is a wisdom Christology, you know, wisdom logos Christology. But it's interesting. Part of it has to do with. I think a little bit of it has to. Do with, well, first of all, Sophia is is feminine in the Greek. But the other thing has to do with when Jewish mysticism. You probably have all seen that kind of tree. It looks like a triangle and has. You know, it starts out with one head. I think it's Qatar, and then it goes. It has. You have couplets down the line, which is the Seraphith, which is, I guess, from the Zohar. But there's all kinds of New Age groups use it and Gnostic groups use it. But the second, you know, the the you know the, the first couplet from the head, from the one, is uh, 
B'nai, knowledge on one side, and Hokama, wisdom on the other side. And actually, wisdom's the first that proceeds from the head. And that, that takes a feminine kind of characteristic in, in a lot of mystical thought, not just Jewish mystical thought, but there's, there's um, I think, in part when, when the human soul is seen as the feminine, the God's masculine, there's also kind of a, a spirit, Holy Spirit spirituality going on there. Yeah, Robert Jensen argues that the reason why God is not gendered in the Hebrew Bible is that is to avoid, even though there are both masculine and feminine metaphors and pictures, but, yeah, you know, for instance, Yahweh's never, like, it has it doesn't have a consort like some of the gods in the pantheon and things like that. Yeah, or it doesn't. Whatever, if God Yahweh did have a consort, which we've seen, we've found statues that you know we found archaeological evidence that seems to be there was some practice of that. Right, but it doesn't make it to the to the yeah. Text. And Lahey, Jensen argues that's sort of the this kind of kind of unique thing in biblical religion, kind of creator creature distinction that we don't have a god, we don't have the created world emanating from God or right. coming out of God or for there there's a sense of it's created in freedom it's really other than so yeah that's interesting I mean yeah, I think, and, uh, I, yeah and I think too there's a sense where um, there's also a you know, earth was earth religions, contrary to maybe contemporary versions of them, were violent religions. I mean, you know, I think as a GK Chesterton says, you know, if you with your when you have uh Earth-based religions, you know, you may be happy, clappy during the day, but at night something's going to get sacrificed, <laughs> and usually it's a human or a human substitute, because uh, Mother Earth is uh, she she is a capricious uh, deity. I mean, if you're going to make if you're going to make the Earth a god, then that's a dangerous god. I mean, I, I always think that certainly there's a lot of Earth spirituality that's warm and inviting and loving and all that, but if you spend a lot of time observing nature. Uh, and particularly if you're living in nature before antibiotics and uh, other kind of scientific modern conveniences, uh, Mother Earth taketh away as much as she giveth. That's certainly the case. And, and now, with the new EPA thing, we can take away. <laughs> we can get back at her. That's right. I think we've been doing a good job of getting back at her for a while. Yeah, but we strike back. There is there is a tendency though when you when you smack Mother, she gets you, she comes back with a vengeance. Yeah, these, these things happen. So anyway, but I do think so. So this um, feminine imagery uh, for God, you know, I thought it was funny. I, I did not. I read um, the Shack. I did not go see the movie. Did you see the movie? I did not. Yeah, but I remember one of the critiques when I was pastor's church. This person came in with a. She had run off the copies. I guess I don't know if it was the Gospel Coalition or whoever had a critique of the of the uh, of the of the shack and it had like i mean it was a 60 page thing it was pretty uh, hilarious uh but one of the things people have a lot of problem with is the way the holy spirit was portrayed uh, the holy spirit was kind of an asiatic woman at times in uh in the shack and i actually thought that was kind of pretty clever first of all the fact that they got offended that she was asiatic says more about them than about those about trinitarian theology but the idea of trying to capture the spirit as being kind of a floaty kind of thing, I thought it was kind of an interesting. And the actual theology behind the shack uh, is is pretty sophisticated Trinitarian theology, actually. If you, if you actually look what's behind it, the guy had studied his theology who wrote it. He has a really interesting personal story, too. Um, yeah, I don't offend easily at movies of any kind, but that's another thing. Uh, I, was, uh, I was reading an essay I found 
by Catherine Kelsey, who's a Schleiermacher scholar. She teaches at Iliff School of Theology. She's also someone that has done work on contemplative spirituality, and she wrote a great book called Thinking About Christ with the Schleiermacher, which I'd recommend to anybody that wants to get into Schleiermacher. But also, she is the one of the translators or editors, editor and translator of the new critical edition that just came out this year, last year, of Schleiermacher's Christian Faith, which is an excellent kind of updated critical edition uh, so she can, she, she is talking about the Schleiermacher and the spirit. I found it very interesting. And she quotes from paragraph 148.1 of <laughs> the Christian faith. And Schleiermacher says this, thus the invisible church is the totality of all the workings of spirit in their interconnectedness. In contrast, what constitutes the visible, the visible church is those same workings of spirit in their connection with lingering effects from the collective life of general sinfulness, which effects are not lacking in any individual life that has been deeply moved by the divine spirit. It's really interesting because she notes how Schleiermacher moves between Christ spirit, the spirit of the community, and Holy Spirit. And he kind of doesn't, he doesn't make big distinctions there. But that's an interesting concept for him that the invisible church is the, is the, aspect of the church collectively that's been that's being moved by the spirit right mm. and yet anybody that's been involved in the church knows that's just not what all of church life is like right. so he thinks that 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 all of us are are kind of both uh, anybody that's had a, a genuine experience of christian faith which which for schleiermacher is sort of a participation in the mind of christ and in, in christ's God consciousness, this sense of blessedness, this sense of communion with the Father that then becomes the spirit of redemption, this experience of redemption. He thinks that every, we're always influenced sort of, it, it, it's, this is almost like a kind of simo usus epicator at same, at same time center and saint. But he kind of makes visible and invisible church, uh, like a simo justus epicator thing. But, but the difference being sort of the degree to which there's an aspect of the church that's really a creature of the spirit and a gift of the spirit. And for Schleiermacher, faith is really a gift. I mean, it's not something that just becomes, there's human participation in it, right. but it's not just something that you can attribute to human action or ingenuity or something. And so he sees the, the communal Christian life as, as marked by this, almost like the spirit's presence and the spirit's absence, hmm. that, that that's the story of the church. And I just think that's an interesting way. Well, to how, think how is of, the spirit absent in the life of the church? Well, I, I think I mean, is that a possibility? Uh, how is that possible? Well, I mean, for Schleiermacher, the, the the parts of the church that are clearly re- bearing fruits of redemption, hmm. there's the spirit's influence, and yet, and yet, well, maybe not even absent, but there's 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 other influences. There's right. the spirit of the world. There's 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 sure. this 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 effect of the world that's sin soaked in its influences, and so he thinks every person. Is there's a sort of battle line drawn down the middle of us, so to speak, or something? My my image, not his, and, and that is where you know the, the there's this sort of pull towards. It's really interesting because for Schleiermacher, sin is God is is God forgetfulness, right? So like on one level, you've got this, you've got your like lower consciousness and higher consciousness, right, as a human being, and your higher your, the highest part of your high. A high consciousness, your reflective consciousness, is your God consciousness. But so, like, you know, let's say you're driving along, listening to some meditative music, and some guy cuts you off on 95, and you make a singular gesture of the finger. At that point, the sensible stimuli in the world has, has blocked out your God consciousness. That's God forgetfulness. So those are moments where like, I think you would think the spirit is, is, in some sense, not the key driver. But And then in other moments where, you know, when Paul says, it's not me, but Christ that lives in me, I mean, he would think that that's... 
that's the work of spirit in, in, the, in the church and in the person. You know, it's interesting in my consulting work. Um, I was really thinking about this. Pentecost uh, was, was a really um, – uh, was really – thoughtful for me this year. And I, I really attended to to the feast day and, and, and to be reminded, and of course, you know, these podcasts have been keeping it present to my mind as well. And one of the things that uh, frequently, now, you know, sometimes when you're doing consulting, you're helping doing constructive things. In other words, there's where do we go next with what God's given us? But, you know, there a lot of times you're, you're also you know, looking at things that might not be going well. And uh, one of the things that really strikes me is that um, in a numerous situations, <laughs> there's various human maneuvering that is at work trying to, mm. you know, trying to, all right, how do we fix this? Or I, what I often see is people trying to go sideways on something or trying to wrap their minds around it. But I experienced this at this meeting the other night that I was at, where I really felt that in the midst of a number of different dynamics that were much more uh, in the realm of humanity than of God. There was there was this opportunity to really see some grace. You know, one of the things I tried to tell them as they, you know, were struggling with some things that were, were not positive in the report. You know, isn't the work of the Spirit exhortation and, and edification? And so you can't be, you know, if the if the Spirit is always trying to bring about things that are constructive, things that feel uncomfortable, or things that are shown to us that are not right, that actually is as much of a grace as if, you know, everybody's saying how wonderful everything is. And I think sometimes where you really can see the fruit of the Spirit is when people say yes to that insight. If we can say, yes, you know what? This is a gift for me to be able to be better. You know, I was someone someone who, a good friend of mine who worked with me and was a student of mine, sent a nice birthday message and, and um, just reminded me one time I said to him, you know, don't forget to pray. And I, I, you know, I, I was thinking about that too because sometimes I think in a church or in a person's life, you can you can tell whether or not they're saying their prayers just by a certain kind of peace that's around them. That doesn't mean if you're if you don't have peace, you're not saying your prayers. But I think you all know what I mean. People who kind of dwell in God often have a different characteristic about them. Doesn't mean they're perfect, but there's a certain kind of you can tell that they spend some time looking at self and God and. You know, I think I had neglected that uh, uh, this week, my own personal life. And I did something, I just reacted the other night to something. It was minor, but I didn't, I, I said something that came, that was arrogant and shadowy. And it was almost as immediately as it came out. I, there was this kind of, uh, there was this convicting presence. It wasn't harsh, but I needed to apologize and realize that that was not a fruit. Of, that was a fruit of the absence, if you would, me not living in the spirit. And I, I do think that that's a bit of a different. Living under grace means that our mistakes can be things that correct us and make us love more. They don't have to be things that are self-condemning. And I think that's a powerful thing about living in the spirit and being convicted by the spirit. Yeah, and it's interesting because I, uh, in this piece, Kelsey writes, uh, um, and she quotes, she makes this observation, she quotes Gerald May. She says, one mystery that confronts a Christian theologian is the observable reality that the church is the means through which redemption is actually communicated from one generation to another generation. This occurs in spite of the observable reality that not all persons who participate in church life appear to have experienced regeneration and sanctification, and those who have, con- and those who have continue to exhibit effects from their lives before regeneration before becoming new creatures. Gerald May invites us to recognize that our most common responses to such mystery are 
one, to solve it by explaining it in such a way that we believe we understand how to control the relevant factors, or two, ignore the existence of the mystery altogether. And then I think she's quoting Mays here. The fundamental contribution of contemplative tradition is their constant traditions is their constant affirmation that mystery can indeed be known without being solved. Mystery can be experienced, sensed, felt, appreciated, even loved without being understood. This may not be easy. It requires a surrender of all willfulness, a risking of self-image, and a nurturing of intuition. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. I See, to me, I think living in the spirit is not a opiate and by which to try to um, accept the way things are in the world. But to me, living in the spirit is, is a way of First of all, trying to live in an inner communion with God, which is a constant inner correction. It's a constant exposure to things that are not under grace. But that is to help us engage in this world, uh, which in some way or the other is also the realm of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and it's fundamentally a, a way of receptivity, I think. Since yeah, it, I think that's—yeah. That's, yeah, I mean, it, it, which is a culture that values busyness and activity. Not that it's not action or participation, but it's a receptive— participation. Yeah, to be continued. Darkness falls and she will take me by the hand, take me to some twilight land, where all but love is gray, where I can't find my way. Without her as my guide Night falls, I'm cast beneath her spell Daylight comes, our heaven turns to hell Am I left to burn and burn eternally? She's a mystery to me Like a switchblade to my heart Words tearing me apart She tears again my bleeding heart I wanna run, she's pulling me apart Fallen angel cries And I just melt away She's a mystery to me I'm cast beneath her spell 
She's a mystery to me. 